Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, episode 43. What to do when you realize you can't control your children. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. Before we start this podcast, I just need to make sure that I tell all of you about one of my little-known talents, and that is that I am amazing at counting to three. I am better than any preschooler, than any toddler. I have this down, and that is because I do it so many times every day. You may recognize the tone of voice that I use when I count to three. One, two, three. Perhaps some of you moms out there listening also have this talent for counting to three. (laughs) I think that you're going to love this podcast today with Marilyn Faulkner. You may remember her from episode 28, How to Raise Confident Children, which has been a wildly popular episode for good reason on the show. If you missed that one, please go back and listen. Marilyn is a mother of five remarkable grown adult children and a grandmother to seven children. And she has so much wit and wisdom and she's so down to earth and realistic about the ups and downs of motherhood. I know you're going to feel refreshed by this conversation with her where she teaches us how to move from control parenting to influence parenting. Um, As she points out in the episode, there comes a point when you realize that you can't really control your children. All you can really do is influence them and teach them and guide them. So her three takeaways will help us to be better at influence parenting and less reliant on control parenting. So here is my interview with fabulous Marilyn. Marilyn, welcome back to 3 and 30 podcast. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. It was so fun to talk to you a couple of months ago about how to raise confident children. And today, I feel like this is really a continuation of that topic about how to move from control parenting to influence parenting. And this is a topic that you suggested, and I love it, um, when I told you that people often ask me to have a grandma on the show to kind of share her insights as looking back on motherhood. And I've been hesitant to do that because I don't want it to just be the same old advice of enjoy every minute or those were the best years of my life type of thing. But I thought of you and I knew that you would have different unique insights for us. And this is what you suggested. Well, this is a topic that's kind of dear to my heart in a painful way. I think that um, 
pretty early on with our children, we can tell uh, who is going to sort of jump in and kind of follow the program that we have in our mind that we're going to do as we raise children. And then we may have a child that just sort of zigs every time everyone else is zagging. Mm-hmm. Um, and in our family, our first child was that child and still is. Our wonderful Kirk, who is just a unique soul, um, just you couldn't find a baby book that fit with mm-hmm. him. You couldn't find a child-rearing book that fit with him. He just has been his own person on his own path from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And because of that, uh, I've had to learn some radical lessons quickly. Uh, about child rearing. And one of them is that you can't really control children. It just seems like you can, because most of them will just go along with you until they can get away from you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And Kirk Kirk taught us fairly early on that we were going to need to learn to do something besides just control a child. And, And so that's how I sort of, I sort of came up with this idea of influence parenting rather than control parenting. Because I think in the end, it's the most powerful kind of parenting, and it's the kind of parenting you can do all your life with your children. And I think we should start it earlier. So that's why I kind of wanted to talk about it. Yeah, I think that's so great. And I have a really strong-willed firstborn who also taught me that I wasn't going to be able to control everything. And honestly, I'm grateful that he was my firstborn because I learned those lessons early on in my motherhood. I think that if it would have been reversed, my daughter's actually really strong well too, but she was a really easy baby. And so um, I think then if Noah would have come second, I would have been like, what in the world is happening? But since he came first, I lost all, like I knew that control was a delusion and Mm -hmm. I was ready to just embrace my kids for who they were and motherhood for what it was. So I'm grateful that I have that spirited one first. Right. And besides that, then from then on, uh, whenever anything goes right, you're just so pleasantly surprised. You know, it's, it's great. <laughs> no expectations that anything's going to work, and it's really better. <laughs> I love that. So, how do we do this? How do we move from control parenting to influence parenting? What's your first takeaway or lesson for us? My first takeaway is to uh, learn to understand when you're doing one or the other. Learn to understand okay. when you are controlling and when you are influencing. And I'll give you a couple of examples. When a child is really quite small, um, I have a bunch of little grandchildren now, so I'm back to uh, working with little children, ages, my grandchildren are ages two to seven. And when I'm in the playroom with them or we're doing a meal or whatever, um, I, I can notice when I'm trying to control the situation and in those cases, I'm, I'm usually a little bit heavy-handed, and, and there are usually ultimatums involved. Um, when I'm influencing children, it tends to be more like helping them own the problem. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm, once again, we're at the table. Nobody will eat. And, uh, and rather than say, well, if you eat, then we get that. Then we can go do this. Um, then it, it's more like entering into the situation and, you know, asking a few questions. Why is it that, you know, you thought you wanted to eat, you thought you were hungry. What do you think uh, is going on? You know, why don't, why don't you want to eat right now? Is it that we have too much else going on? Would it be better if we turned off the TV or, you know, made it easier? In other words, you just sort of enter into the fact that we have this situation going on and it's not me against you. 
Yeah. Let me just say that there is nothing worse than parents who are negotiating with three-year-olds all the time. Uh That, you know, we are meant to be the parent. And for the most part, when you have a young child, you really are meant to control the situation. You just, life would be too exhausting and it's putting too much pressure on them. But I guess what I'm saying is, that this is something where you you're in you have in your mind this is where I want to be headed with the child. I want to this this controlling situation is only so that we can learn how to have the child own that problem. Okay. You should not be arguing with a 10-year-old about what they eat for dinner. That should be long behind them. Um, I think we go on with those controlling kinds of things a lot longer than we need to because we haven't helped the child get the skills to take over the problem. Yeah. And that is that example that you just gave is a really frequent pain point for parents with dinner and picky eating. And so in that specific situation, what would you do with a 10 year old at the dinner table? Well, let's take it from three to 10 to 18. You know, um, I think you should just look at it as a continuum. Uh, With a young child, there is a control situation. If you'll take a bite of that, then you can have your dessert. When the waters are calm one day, you might even have a conversation with a three-year-old or Mm -hmm. a four-year-old about food and so that it doesn't become such a power issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, uh, what do you think about that? You know, how how would you, in other words, you can set some little guidelines. You can begin to have that child own and enjoy the problem. And, And when I say enjoy the problem, maybe you can cook something together. In other words, you can take other angles at it to where food becomes not an issue. Um, and, and in other words, you begin to be able to influence how that child feels about food. I still remember my mother saying, I, I'm one of eight children and I had five brothers. And in those days, you ironed everything. Mm. Um, and I learned at a pretty young age to use a mangle iron like they use in the cleaners where you push with your knees and you roll the thing through the big roller. My mother didn't work me real, real hard. She did most of the work herself, but she taught me some of those things. And the funny thing was she liked to iron mm-hmm. and she liked doing it. And, and so sometimes when it wasn't chore time, you know, she'd, she'd show me her little tricks, how she ironed. And then she showed me how to use the mangle iron. Well, it, it began to be a thing I liked doing with my mom. As many things as you can take away from being a control issue as to a, this is a part of life. And I'm going to give you some hints of how I handle this problem, because now this is going to be an issue with you. All of your life, you're going to have to think about how you eat. Mm-hmm. So let's start talking early on about it. In other words, once again, And I'm talking kind of up on an ideal level, but I honestly feel like we should not be having arguments about food by the time kids are nine or 10. By then, by then, it's really, um, it's more of a like, we're all kind of enjoying, uh, there's things we like, there's things we don't like. at, At nine, I may not be able to handle tomatoes, but I'll eat something else that's nourishing, you know. Yeah. And I, so I, I think we get into too many, uh, we make too many things our battles that could be, we could skirt the battle, we could go around it and, and have influence. In other words, make the thing more fun or make it more interesting or something about yeah. it. Um, this actually reminds me a lot of a book called The Soul of Discipline that's by um, a really famous parenting specialist, Kim Payne. He wrote Simplicity Parenting and his second book is The Soul of Discipline. And he talks about how 
there are three distinct stages in child development and that within those stages, we as parents need to take different roles for our kids depending on what stage they're in developmentally. And he has it um, divided into the three. They all start with G. So there's this kind of, you know, alliteration there and it's the governor. So when their ages, when their babies up until about seven or so, we serve as the, their governor and we have a little bit more control and influence over them or we have more control over them, I should say. And then middle childhood, eight, eight to 13 or so, we're the gardener that and we're cultivating and helping them to make good choices and moving more towards the influence. And then in their teenage years, we're the guide. Okay. So it goes the governor, the gardener, the guide. And by the time that we're in the guide stage, um, we're really only offering support and asking them guiding questions and suggesting solutions, um, but working with them to guide their behavior in appropriate directions. So much more of this influence parenting that you're talking about. I want to read that book too. Thinking of the child as moving along a continuum where you have an objective that is not at the end, the child will do everything I say when they're 16. At the end, the child will be an autonomous being and be able to make the choices. Yes. And I feel like this fits really well with your second takeaway, uh, which is to reward your children for solving problems and being independent. So how do you get a child as they're coming up older and older to solve problems and be independent? I really think that I was not always great at that. I mean, when my three sons received their Eagle Scouts, I felt like I should have been awarded. (laughs) You know, yeah, there were many fifth grade and middle grade projects that I thought I deserved the A. Um, You know, I got in there and, you know, saved the day for them. And, and we have a family that we are acquainted with and they've got several children and we admire them a lot. And they have a hard and fast rule. Their kids are very aware of it when they get into middle school that, okay, now when you are in middle school, your schoolwork is your own responsibility now. And the reason they start it in middle school is because when you get into high school, the grades really count. And you may not get into a university. Mm-hmm. What they do is they just stop rescuing their children starting in seventh grade. And if you didn't get your project done, it didn't get done and you got an F. Now, I don't know very many parents who do that. Um, but I've watched these children grow to just be outstanding students and outstanding individuals. And uh, their parents really were smart in saying, we're going to go a little younger than parents normally do in handing this responsibility over to the child, because this is a place where they can make some mistakes and it won't have lifelong consequences. Right. And and just kind of have that in your mind a little bit. Uh, reward children if they make the problem their own. Uh, you might even say, okay, now this year there's a science project. We're in fifth grade. There's a science project. I'll tell you what. Let's start at the beginning. Make a little calendar. And if you make this your own project, like if you really handle this all the way to the end, there's going to be a really tremendous reward. In other words, reward them for independence, not just for accomplishment. Because a lot of times the accomplishment, we've come in and saved the day. Um, Right. Award them for making it their problem. I was raised in a large family and I had five children. And I really valued their help. I valued their input and I valued um, their independence. If they could handle something that I didn't have to handle for them. 
uh, in particular, my husband has been a great example of that because as they started college, we wrote out something called the Faulkner Family Scholarship Fund. Uh, if you mm-hmm. dropped below a 3.0 grade average, your funding would stop. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, there were certain parameters. You know, there, were not, there weren't a ton of them. But in other words, it was, it was your problem, too. He felt pretty strongly also about not rescuing them financially. And so everybody had to work in high school. Everybody had to work during college. These were some of the things that Craig uh, felt very strongly about that we had done. And he said, why would I um, not have my children experience the wonderful feeling that I have, that I have been my own success? I have made my own success. And all the way along, I've wanted to give them everything. I've been exactly on the wrong side of the thing. <laughs> I mean, I've been I've been wrong the whole way because <laughs> so, I didn't want anyone to have to go without anything. I want everyone to just have everything. And so, if you argue with your spouse about how much to give the kids, how many toys they should have, how much you should spoil them, that's a good thing. That means that the two of you are sort of on opposite ends of the spectrum, and that's good. You'll probably end up having a decent child. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you should be fighting about it a little bit because. If you're both too much one way or the other, it's it's uh, it, you, you, they'll get screwed up. But I do think you know even early on um, having them own and be independent about those kinds of things, it gives them a wonderful feeling of confidence in themselves. Definitely, and I have to say, when you were talking about letting kids face the consequence and not bailing them out. Um, I thought of what is probably the most classic story in our family about that. When I was in middle school, I used to oversleep and miss the bus pretty much every day, which I will say is still a problem for me. I'm still have a really hard time getting out of bed. (laughs) You don't have to ride the bus anymore. (laughs) Yes. So my mom tried, you know, all the tactics and threats and all the things, you know, and finally she just said, look, you're in seventh grade and you need to be able to get up and get yourself to the bus. And if you miss the bus, I will not drive you and you will have to figure it out. And um, for some kids, I mean, they might be like, woohoo, no school. I don't have to go, you know. But for me, who was like an overachiever and a pleaser, that never even crossed my mind. Like I was going to school. It was just a matter of how I was going to get there. And so, of course, I missed the bus and I called the taxi to take me to school. (laughs) And I like, whenever I tell people that I'm like, it's not like I was in New York city. Like we were in suburban Littleton, Colorado. It's not like you see taxis around. I I called the taxi. I remember that I had my Tootsie roll bank with my babysitting money in it. And my mom just, you know, well, actually the first time that it happened, I didn't tell my mom because I was afraid she would get mad. So I threw rocks at my little sister's window until she woke up. And then I told her to bring me the phone and my Tootsie Roll bank. And so, <laughs> and then I, I called the taxi. The taxi came and got me and pulled up to my house to get me. And my mom, of course, just happened to look out the window at that moment and went and said to Laura, is there something you need to tell me about Rachel? <laughs> love it (laughs) and so when she my mom called the office and said when she gets there please have her call me I just want to know that she made it safe and then she said to me I'm proud of you for figuring out a different way to get there that was smart 
and yeah and she said from now on though I just want you to tell me because I need to be able to check that you're safe you know and check in on you so I took a taxi a couple probably two or three more times to school that year but for the most part I figured out how to get myself out of bed so that I didn't have to spend all my babysitting money on taxis (laughs) to school you felt the pain of it Well, I love that story. So she knew this principle, I think, to reward your children for solving problems and being independent and to expect them to solve problems and be independent. And then what's your third takeaway? The third takeaway is one of the hardest things of your whole life. This is one of the hardest things of your whole life as a parent, and that is to remind yourself every day that your child's actions are not about you. And I don't care how old your children get. It's very hard not to have your self-image bound up in their successes or failures. Mm-hmm. Um, when our son was about 15, our oldest son, he was running around with a crowd that, you know, kind of wore dog collars and strange hair. And I was <laughs> getting discouraged about his rebellion. And I was sitting sulking in the back of a, of a, a, of a women's meeting one night, you know, and this older grandmother was sitting next to me. She said, what's wrong with you? And I said, oh, my 15-year-old is giving, you know, and I started moping. And, <laughs> and she said, are you kidding me? Wait till they all start getting divorced. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, that was the best thing you could have said to me because she said, I just went on a 10-hour drive with my son and he spent the 10-hour drive home explaining to me why all his marriage problems are my fault. And, and so I, I thought right that minute, okay, wait a minute. I've got to make a change right now. I cannot be walking around every day thinking that everything this child does is somehow about me. It's not about me. It's about him or her. And so, but I continually have to remind myself of that. One of my children said to me one time, um, when are you going to view my life as a path I'm taking and not as a series of disappointments for you. Yeah. And that was a terrible thing to have someone say to me because I thought, what a terrible thing to feel that the choices you make, if they're different from what your parent thinks they would make, that you're somehow a disappointment. And that was another big wake-up call for me and, and hopefully happened early on enough that I was able to say, you can go around treating children like they disappoint you all the time. That's a terrible message to give. And we give it to little tiny children a lot. Yeah. Um, so if, if you can get yourself out of the equation, then it's not like you're disappointing me. This is not about me. This is about you. And how are we going to help you be happy? And what happens when you are really just trying to control the child um, is that It gets harder and harder to control the child as they get older until the point where you're either physically unable to control them. And at this point, will I tell my vegetable abuse story? Yes, tell your your vegetable abuse story. (laughs) I told Rachel that at some point I've got to tell my vegetable abuse story. So many of you listen to Allison on The Allison Show. Uh, we were riding along in the car one day in the minivan with all these kids, right? And I, and she was being quite a pill. She's a pretty stubborn little girl, and she gets fairly dramatic. I don't know if it's hard for you to imagine that she has a fairly dramatic personality, even when she was young. She was being really overdramatic about something and causing a problem of some kind. And I got so frustrated. I, was, I, I wanted to get my hand on her somehow, but she was a little too far back for me to read. <laughs> 
And so I began to fish around in the grocery sacks. We'd been to the grocery store and I pulled out a big bunch of celery and that extended my reach by a foot. And I just leaned back and popped her on the head with that celery to try to shut her off. (laughs) And there was kind of a centrifugal force going where it hit her a little harder than I expected. In fact, possibly even a lot harder than I expected. And so she likes to tell people that's why she has some of the problems that she has. <laughs> but it, it illustrates to me that if you get to the point where you're fishing in the grocery bag for something to extend your reach to pop a kid with, you may have gone off the rails just a little bit about controlling and influencing because <laughs> at some point I needed to back up and sort of sharpen the saw and, and, and solve that problem a little differently. Yeah. Well, and I just love hearing that. I mean, like for a mom who is in the trenches right now with my little ones, who I sometimes lose it. I have to say I've never committed vegetable abuse, but it could it could be in my future. In fact, it sounds like a it sounds like a pretty good idea to use that celery. Uh, just to make you moms feel better, I also told Rachel about the time that uh, Allison was had barricaded herself in the back of the minivan. She didn't want to go to the dentist. She didn't want to get a filling filled. (laughs) And I literally, she was about 10 or 11, and I literally physically couldn't get her out of the back of the minivan. But uh, I had a creative idea, and I reached in my wallet and pulled out a dollar and and lured her out of the minivan by waving the dollar in front of her face. So I don't really want to come on like the perfect mother here. (laughs) (laughs) By the time you've raised five children, you've done just about everything that works except hold a gun on them, you know, so... Yes. And um, as you said in your last episode that you recorded with the show, that you used to say, just write this down for when you're in therapy, and that indeed they have gone to therapy. (laughs) They have. (laughs) Nearly all of them have been in therapy. So I'm sorry. Life is tough. But um, (laughs) uh, the thing about it not being about you, I think it's just so important, especially then as you grow older. I have a, a wonderful young friend who is a very successful career woman. Her husband works from home, so he can be with the children more. She has two beautiful daughters. She is a wonderful person. And I was talking to her recently, and she said, I'm not close to my mother. And I said, why? And she said, because my mother disapproves of me working. Mm. And so even as our children grow older, we continue to try to control them, but we withhold love or money or approval. We use other ways of continuing to try to control their decisions. And I thought, what a shame if at some point you can't say, um, this child's life is not about me. Yeah. Uh, it's, it really isn't. It's about them. And I, I, I'm not saying that that's easy to do, but I'm saying you need to really kind of hold that out there as a goal to yourself to say that you, you really will have children that embarrass you in public all of your life. <laughs> <laughs> and you just got to get over it. Oh, it's so true. <laughs> We've all been an embarrassment to our parents at times. Oh, and I feel like, like I said, with having my strong-willed first, I've learned that to some extent, like getting a phone call home on the second day of school about his behavior. And I'm like, come on, kid. Like, couldn't you have at least waited a few weeks? But I just had to remind myself, like, it's not a reflection on me. I I can't make him and his behavior 
mean that I'm a bad parent or that I need to be embarrassed because this is really about helping him and helping him learn and grow. And it's too self-centered if I'm worrying about what other people are thinking of me and my parenting. Yes. And it puts a lot of pressure on that child because it's, it's the wrong motivation for doing right things. Yeah. This control versus influence uh, is, is not all there is to parenting, but it certainly is a very important part of parenting that nobody talked to me very much about when my children were young. And before I knew it, I needed to know it. Yeah. I needed to know it before I knew it. <laughs> I learned it when my children got old enough that there was already harm, some harm done. I felt like emotional harm done. Um, mm-hmm. And and I thought if, if someone had sort of talked to me about this earlier, I could have been sort of aiming toward it a little better as they moved into their tween and then teenage years. Yeah. Well, thank you for letting us know and giving us that wisdom. I knew you would deliver on the advice that goes beyond just enjoy every single moment. Um, so you were the perfect guest. I got invited to be on a panel of grandmothers. And, and there were like eight of them. And they talked about how to be a wonderful grandmother. And these grandmothers were baking with their grandchildren and teaching them to fix the car and paint walls and all of these things and cook. And they were doing grandma camps. And I was just overwhelmed. I'd had all these little grandkids come at once and I could barely even keep track of their birthdays. And, and I thought that when you had grandchildren was that you got to take them shopping and go out to lunch. You know, I didn't think, (laughs) so I couldn't help it when I was actually the last on the panel. And um, I said, well, I feel, you know, I invite my grandchildren over on Friday and I let them watch me write the check for the cleaning lady. (laughs) 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 Because I don't want to teach them anything when I'm a grandma. You know, I I just want to have some fun. Oh, I love that. Well, I know the I know the moms in this community are definitely going to love hearing your down-to-earth realism. And thank you for giving us your time twice. Um, we really, really appreciate it. You've been such a great guest on 3 and 30. Well, it's fun, Rachel, and I appreciate what you're doing. I think it's a great podcast and 30 minutes is ideal. We can all, we can all learn something in 30 minutes that we won't forget. I think that's great. Gosh, I love her. She is so wise and hilarious and relatable and warm. I hope that you got some good laughs like I did in this episode and also pulled away some great nuggets of wisdom that will bless you in your parenting. As a recap of our three takeaways of how to move from control parenting to influence parenting. First, Marilyn talked about simply recognizing when you're doing one or the other recognizing when you're just trying to exert control and to instead try to enter into your kid's world a little bit and ask questions, maybe make the situation more fun so that you're influencing rather than controlling. We also talked about that continuum where you are going to have to control them more when they're younger and then hopefully you're loosening the reins a little bit as they get older and giving them more autonomy. The second takeaway was to reward them for independence and for problem solving. She mentioned, you know, having a school project like a science fair and saying, let's make a little calendar of due dates. And if you can get this done on your own, there will be a reward for you at the end. And then the third takeaway 
which is so important, is to remember that your child's actions are not about you. To separate yourself from your child's actions so that you're not feeling embarrassed or feeling like they're a reflection on you, but that you're just more able to influence and love and guide without taking everything so personally. I wanted to remind you that Marilyn is an author. She has written several books, the most recent of which are about the scriptures. She has a book called The User-Friendly Old Testament, another called The User-Friendly Book of Mormon, and she's coming out with The User-Friendly New Testament this fall. You can find the links to those in my show notes or by going to her website, which is MarilynGreenFalkner.com, and you'll also find there she does what she calls five minute Fridays, which are five minute videos that are scripture chats. And so if you love her and you want more of her, that is a great place to find her. When I emailed Marilyn and asked for a picture of her family that I could use as the feature image for this episode, she sent back a photo and then the most beautiful little message about it. And I asked if I could read it because I feel like the story behind the photo and some context about what's been going on in their family the last few years really makes this episode all the more pertinent. Her husband, Craig, was diagnosed with cancer a couple of years ago. He's in a strong remission now, but he'll have to be taking an oral chemotherapy for the rest of his life. And it's been quite a battle these last few years. So this is what Marilyn said about that photo. She said, this was taken in Hawaii just a month before Craig was diagnosed with cancer. That will be two years this October. And these five kids have been the greatest support team we could have ever hoped for. Each one of them has stepped up so beautifully, each with something to give that is unique and special. Craig's relationship with each of them has been wonderful to watch. The experience of having our grown kids give back so much to us makes me think of a verse that I wrote in the front of my scriptures when the kids were younger. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, withal it shall be measured to you again. Luke 6:38. Many parents are not lucky enough to have a loving, close relationship with their adult children. I think the best chance we have of ending up with that outcome is to try to make that quiet shift from control to influence that we discussed in this podcast. I've been rather awkward and clumsy about it. But at least the kids know that Craig and I are trying to let go of the reins, and they are very forgiving. Love to you and yours, Marilyn. Let's keep that image in our minds of our children as grown-ups. Wonderful, mature grown-ups who give back to us and who we have adult friendships with. I'm so grateful to Marilyn for giving me a little peek into that vision and that future. And I think it will change the way that I parent this week. Thank you for being here, and I hope that you have a great week influencing and leading with love in your family. Hey, I'm Lizzie Mathis, the host of the Cool Mom Code podcast, where motherhood is your key card to the coolest spot in town. I'm excited to give you a behind-the-scenes, real-talk combo between some of the most influential and tastemaker mamas I know. Subscribe and stay tuned for new episodes weekly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so you don't ever miss a beat. See you there.